do you think you've done something or crossed a line where he can't forgive you? Um, thinking back, uh, my best friend in high school and I had just gone to a summer conference um, where the evening we watched uh, someone present a message about the gospel and, and there was uh, nearly a hundred students that went and responded to this message of grace and uh, we were real excited about what happened and, and saw some of our friends respond to that message and uh, some were down there and they were confessing Jesus as their Lord and Savior for the first time and there were others who were just confessing their sin and, and just recommitting their lives to Christ and following Him. And I remember as uh, my best friend and I were walking back from the conference center back to our dorms and it was at night and walking down this sidewalk and we were just kind of talking about what happened and and I was kind of excited, you know, just kind of on this amazing grace buzz. And, and, uh, and as we were talking, I could tell there was something eaten at my friend. And uh, he was troubled. And I wasn't really sure what was going on, but I know he was trying to tell me something. And, uh, but I don't think I was listening that well that evening. And, uh, or I just didn't ask the right questions. And, uh, but basically from what I remember of that nice conversation with my best friend is that... Uh, he wasn't sure of God's forgiveness for him. And he didn't give me any specifics, and I don't know what it was, if he you know, slept with his girlfriend or encouraged her to have an abortion or something like that or, or what it was, but I just know that whatever was on him, it was something heavy, and it was just tearing him up on the inside. And uh, this is the part where I'm not sure I listened so well, and, and maybe I just should have shut up, but I, I, I just said, man, th- I mean, that's, this is the whole deal. This is course we don't deserve forgiveness and and I, I i tried to share that with them that's why grace was so amazing that's why forgiveness is it it's is incredible and uh i mentioned how god had you know forgiven just very recently from that moment my sexual sins and my past and and how wonderful that felt the freedom felt but he was pretty sure that i didn't understand what he was talking about and i was pretty sure that nothing was beyond forgiving and so there we were, standing there. One of us standing there that night was seeing grace, but feeling it was not available to him, or it was not offered to him. And then the other person was standing there that night, floating two, free, two feet above the ground, because forgiveness, because forgiveness and living in grace was so amazing. What's the difference? What was the difference between those two people? What was the difference between me and my friend? I'm not sure, but I'd I'd like to talk about that today because I think there's some people that still struggle with the idea of God being willing to forgive them and that grace is not for them. I'm making a bit of an assumption, but I think that probably most of us here believe that God, the good God, the great three-in-one, we believe that he forgives And I don't think that we usually doubt his ability to forgive, and we usually don't doubt his forgiveness comes through the Son at the cross. And again, I'm I'm making an assumption, but I think that most of us here struggle uh, at a more personal level. We struggle with this question, is God willing to forgive me? Is he willing? Again, it's not a question of how he can forgive or his ability to forgive, but is he willing Is he willing to forgive me? And could that willingness be extended to someone like me 
who knows what is right, but has done what is wrong repeatedly? Is there hope for someone like me, knowing who I am and what I've done? Can I have any certainty that God would forgive someone like me? <coughs> While I was a pastor of adult discipleship up at a church in Buffalo, New York, um, my wife met a lady at our neighborhood garage sale, yard sale. And uh, right there in her front yard, uh, this lady started talking with my wife in just a few sentences. She was just spilling her whole life story to my wife. And she was sitting there scratching her head, you know, this lady. And she was saying, I, I don't know why I'm telling you this. And, you know, of course, I know and you know why she was telling Sherry. But, um, but as she was sharing, uh, she was saying that, she, you know, she'd recently divorced from a guy who's a real jerk and, and had a little boy that she was trying to raise on her own. And the, just the pain of the divorce was just really fresh. And, um, and uh, she was just really hurt and aching. And she was really just aching for love. And like the old song goes, uh, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. And she knew it. She knew it. And she was miserable. Miserable. And over a three-year period, uh, my wife and my family befriended her. And uh, we were just trying to encourage her and help her and love on her and help her financially some. And, and she knew she needed the Lord in her life and uh, wanted to do something about that. And we were just being real patient. We weren't pushing anything or saying much. And, and so, but, but she thought uh, that, that she would take a step in the direction of moving towards the Lord and by going to church. And so uh, we invited her to the, where we were worshiping at the time. And, and the first time she tried to come, uh, she got her car to the parking lot but then she just stayed in her car, and she never got out. She stayed in her car, and she cried. And then she started up her car, and she drove back home. And later, after talking with my wife, uh, she related to her that she just felt like she wasn't able to come into that building because somehow she couldn't come close to God because of all the things that she had done. And for a certain time in her life, there was so much shame, she couldn't lift her eyes to even look to God. She couldn't do it. Guilt and shame really sometimes confuse people. And they're really heavy things. And, and they're not sure what to do with guilt and shame. Some run from it. Some ignore it. Some sweep it under the carpet. Uh, while some are swallowed up by it. They just wallow in it or despair in it. Then there are those who do none of those things. And, and they instead just bring themselves before the Lord with their sin, guilt, and shame. And today, I, I want to look at David, in Psalm 51, where he took his sin and brought, brought it before God. And what God did with his sin, guilt, and shame. And, you know, the Bible, it, it's called, and it was once called, Vox Deo in Latin, meaning the voice of God. As if this was recorded, the recorded voice of God. And for some reason, God saw it fit to record David's prayer. And obviously, there's something that we can learn from this prayer and something that we should know about our sin, guilt, and shame. And what God wants to do with it. So, looking at Psalm 51, I, I just want to assert the idea that really the only thing that we can honestly do to deal with our sin, guilt, and shame is to come to the Lord seeking His forgiveness. And that yes, He is willing. He is willing to forgive you and to forgive me. He's willing. And I pray that this message will give hope to all of us here um, who are poor in spirit, who understand our spiritual poverty, that we know that we are just spiritually bankrupt, that we don't have what it takes. 
and, and that we can find rest in God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's what I, I hope happens today. Now, this message is going to do absolutely no good for those of you who feel like you're self-sufficient and that you think sin and guilt are just silly, outdated ideas. If that's the case, this, this probably isn't going to help. And whether you're a self-righteous churchgoer or a self-righteous pagan, one way or the other, I'd like to remind you of a story that Jesus told. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. Mmm, aren't I wonderful? Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up and said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. Jesus commented, the tax man, not the other man, went home, made right with God. That's where we're going, folks, today with this message. So, if you're still struggling with the idea of identifying yourself as a sinner, I'll tell you what, I can't get into that today. But there's another recorded message on our website, and you can go, and it's called this, 12 Steps for the Recovering Pharisee. And uh, you can listen to that, and that might help you in that area. But looking at Psalm 51, I think you'll find there's hope for everyone. If someone could get me a drink of water, I am got this um, wonderful little tickle in my throat. (coughs) Thank you. Um, Looking at this this psalm, this prayer of David, it had been nine months, nine months at least, where David had shown no remorse or sorrow for his sin of adultery uh, with Bathsheba and, and the sin of murdering Uriah. Uh, Bathsheba's husband, nine months, nine months where he just sat on it. He did nothing. He didn't say a word, didn't say a peep. He's trying to keep it a secret. But David knew what was right and what was wrong. He, he, he had been writing about God's word and God's law since he was a kid. He was writing songs and poetry about it. And he was known as a man who pursued what was right and what was pleasing to God. That was his reputation. But he wasn't above temptation. He wasn't above temptation, and he sinned with Bathsheba, and then he sinned again to cover up that sin by killing Uriah. Cover-up was the tactic that David was using, like a child putting a blanket over his head and thinking that he's invisible to everyone around him. You know, it's a foolish tactic, but David knew God could, but David was doing it anyway. And, And David, he knew God could see all things. He knew God could know all things. Nothing is hidden from him. He wrote about it. He sung about it in Psalm 139, talking about God's omnipresence and uh, being everywhere and knowing all things. But the plain truth about this, the plain truth is that sin makes you stupid, okay? And sin had made David stupid. That's just what happened. Oh, I'll just put a blanket over my sin and cover it up and no one will see. Not even me. Hmm. Stupid. Somehow, in not acknowledging his sin and playing this little hide-and-seek game, he seemingly pushed away any guilt or shame. Seemingly, I say. But nine months had gone by, and one of the king's advisors, uh, the prophet Nathan, knew it was time to confront David and his sin, to pull the blanket off, 
and to reveal the silly attempt to hide what had happened. Now, according to the Bible, David responded in a very positive way. He acknowledged his wrongdoing as sin. He acknowledged his guilt. And that even though he attempted to cover it up before, he knew it was always there. He admits that it was always there those nine months. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak. David ended the cover-up. He made no excuses, and he didn't defend himself or even explain himself. Well, if she wasn't on a rooftop taking a bath, then none of this would have happened. He didn't make himself above the Word of God by saying, Hey, I'm the king. I command the army. I'm the commander-in-chief. I can do whatever I want with the men. I can send them into the front. That's my prerogative. I can do it. He didn't make any excuses. He admitted his guilt. David stopped trying to smother his guilt in the matter, and he acknowledged it all. Guilt and shame, contrary to what people say, believe, and teach today, is not a bad thing. Guilt and shame is not a bad thing. It was meant to move us from doing wrong to doing right. It was meant to move us away from ourself and our selfishness towards God. Guilt and shame can be harmful when we don't deal with them. David also acknowledges this to God. He understands that even this part of guilt and shame is from God. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see, God uses guilt and shame like he uses hunger. You guys have experienced hunger before. I hope you have. And we feel hunger when we feel it. We do something to find relief. We put some, belly in our, we put some food in our bellies. Put belly in our food. Hmm, that would be hard. We put food in our bellies. But there's no relief if we ignore the hunger pains. Eventually, hunger pains can disappear. But it's quite dangerous because the need is still there for food and the nutrition that our body needs. In the same way, guilt and shame are meant to be the warning light on our auto dash, you know, telling us that there's something wrong underneath the hood. And it's there to warn us. You know, this is actually one of the roles of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. So when we feel that conviction and we sense guilt and shame, the real danger is when we ignore it for so long that we no longer sense guilt or shame any longer. And we become desensitized. Or as the Bible puts it, our, our consciences become seared as with a hot iron, like scar tissue that just is no longer responsive. Or a hardened heart that is no longer sensitive to what is right and wrong. That's the danger. So I want to tell you today, if, if you do sense guilt or any shame in your life from wrongdoing that you've done, praise God. You still got a soft heart. You still got a conscience that can be moved by the Spirit of God. And, and you still have that quality that makes you part of the human race. Praise God that you can still sense it. But let me tell you, we weren't made to wallow, to stay in guilt and shame. Our minds, our bodies, and our hearts can't handle guilt and shame for a long time without damage. We can't do it long term. We are meant to deal with truth in our inmost being. And when we don't, we're playing games with God. We're playing games. And when we don't deal truthfully with God and ourselves, it's, it's like a combination lock. 
and the tumblers was, won't, they just won't align to allow the lock to come undone, to be free. And so really, what I want for all of us here today is I want you to be able to move past guilt and shame that comes from your sin and find forgiveness. And know that the Lord is willing to forgive. He is really willing. And to know the joy on the other side of forgiveness. I know that sometimes guilt and shame makes you feel miserable and like, oh, this is horrible, and so I just want to run from this. And so you run away from God because you think that's where your guilt and shame is coming from. But the thing is, is you've got to run towards Him to take care of the guilt and shame so you can get rid of it because you can't get rid of it on your own. You have no soap. You have nothing that will cleanse it and take it away. You can play different games, and like I said earlier, um, man, there's people that do that, and they end up mentally ill. They end up in hospitals with ulcers and stress. Their marriages come apart. you got to deal with it. And the only way to deal with it is go to God. And I'm telling you that there's joy on the other side of it. There's relief from it on the other side of it. Restore to me the joy of your salvation is what David said in his prayer. He knew about it, and he knew he was going to get there because he knew the God that would forgive, the God that would give him joy. But to experience that, you're going to have to deal truthfully with yourself and with God and to align your life with the truth. And here's the truth that David aligned in his life, aligning those tumblers in the lock so that they would unlock and become, he could become free. The first thing is that David acknowledged he had sin and that he was a sinner. And I know this is the biggest one that people have a hard time getting past. Acknowledge that you did something wrong. Acknowledging that you sin. Not only did you sin against somebody or sin against yourself, but you sinned against God. It's a tough one. Though he sought and after this, then he sought the Lord's forgiveness. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. In David's prayer song, he then asked God to create and renew within him. He asked God to create a pure heart. Create would mean to make something out of nothing. So basically saying, Lord, I know you've, I've given you here nothing to work with. All I've given you is basically a rotten heart. So just create a pure heart where something, where there's been nothing pure before, where there's been nothing pure before. He also asked God to renew a steadfast spirit within him. That's like uh, uh, taking something that already exists but is nearly dead and then breathing new life into it. And he says, God, breathe new life into me. Sustain me. Give me a willing spirit. David asked for restoration restoration, to be brought back into the Lord's favor, into a place of joyful relationship with the Lord. And the last bit of truth in David's prayer song, last tumbler to fall in place in alignment, is a willingness and a longing in David to do what is right. To do what is right. David says he wants to declare God's praise and tell others about God's ways. That desire. Is it there? So what are those tumblers of the lock that need to align to unlock our hearts, to find freedom and forgiveness? We need to be real. and We need to admit our sin and sinfulness to God. Two, we need to ask the Lord to forgive us of our sin. Three, we need to seek and believe that he can cleanse us and make us new in heart and renewed in spirit. If he can't, then really this isn't worth it. If he can't change us, if he can't create in us something new and pure, then this is all pointless. But he can. Do you believe it? And then four, finally, we need to be willing to walk away from our sin 
and to follow God's ways. Now, the crazy thing about all these things is that you can't conjure it up. You can't conjure it up on your own. This is all the work of God's Holy Spirit. And I don't know how anyone can be convicted to admit their sin without God's Spirit. I don't know how anyone can ask for forgiveness and renewal without help from the Spirit to believe. And I don't know how anyone can be willing to follow God's way without the Spirit of God making them willing and giving them the want to. So, if you're still struggling with shame and guilt in your life after seeking God's forgiveness, then I urge you to get to the bottom of it. There's something not aligned there if you're still experiencing guilt and shame. And maybe it's, maybe it's merely that you're not standing upon the truth that you really are forgiven, that, that God has made you new and clean on the, on the inside. And maybe the devil has taken your sin from the past and thrown it in your face. And maybe what needs to happen is you just need to make a declaration, a declaration saying, I am forgiven. I have been made new. The old is gone. The new has come. You just need to make a declaration. And maybe, maybe you still sense guilt and shame in your life because maybe you just went through the motions and there was no real conviction in your heart. And what you need to do is not a declaration, but you need to make an invitation. And you need to invite God. And you say, Spirit of the living God, come into my life and change and work in me, in my heart and mind. I need you. You see what you want. You see what you desire, but you can't get there because you don't got the want to. You don't got what it takes. It's going to take God's spirit working in you to do something. So make a declaration or make an invitation. But let me end where David ends his psalm. And uh, Nate, you can come on up now. David acknowledges that what God really desires from him is a broken and contrite heart. A broken heart. Do you got that? Can you offer that to him? Can God forgive you? Yes. He's demonstrated that through the cross already. Can he forgive what you and I have done? Yeah. He forgave the sins of David. He, can for, he forgave the sins of the, of the thief on the cross. Hey, he lived 99.9% of his life being a sinner. And that last 0.1% right there at the cross, he turns to the Lord. And the Lord forgives him. says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Can the Lord forgive? Is he willing? Yes. Is he willing to forgive you? Is your heart broken and contrite? If it is, then I would say yes to that question. Are you like the leper coming to Jesus with this disease and his filth who said with belief, belief that Jesus could heal, but he also said with doubt that Jesus would. He said, Lord, if, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know how Jesus answered him? He reached out and touched someone no one was willing to touch. And he said, I am willing. Be clean. You know what? Jesus is saying that to you today. He's saying, I am willing. Be clean. You're forgiven. It's gone. I've taken care of it on the cross. The Lord is willing to forgive you. His arm is not too short to save And those who have been bruised and broken by this world, he will not break or crush. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I believe he can and he is willing.